All right, welcome to a new edition of Sounding Off on Soccer. This is John Krasinski, Pittsburgh Soccer Now. Uh, it's been a while. It's probably been a couple of weeks. My last edition of Soccer, uh, Sounding Off on Soccer. Uh, fortunate to have Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News with us. That was a fantastic pod. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, please do. Uh, Mike, just a wealth of knowledge, especially about the United States women's and United States men's national soccer teams. But today, I'd like to talk about the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've talked about them on this podcast. Uh, the Hounds are red, red, red hot. That's right. Um, but guess what? So are the rest of the teams ahead of them in the standings. Despite uh, being unbeaten in their last seven matches, the Hounds are 6-0-1. The Hounds remain in fourth place in the USL Championship's Eastern Conference standings behind Louisville City, behind Tampa Bay, and this week's opponent, FC Cincinnati. I'm sorry, this week's opponent, Memphis 901 FC. Um, so if you look at the current standings, the run of form in the last five matches of the four, top four teams, in the 30 matches that those top four teams have played, uh, they've combined in those 30 matches for four non-wins. And three of those are draws. So in those 30 matches, in those 30 matches, only one team has lost. And it's Memphis. And they lost to one of the other three, Louisville City FC, two to, two to one on July 16th. So with this upcoming home match versus Memphis, the Hounds have an opportunity to jump ahead of this upstart Memphis 901 FC squad. And we're going to, throughout the course of this, week uh, we'll uh, get to learn a little bit more about Memphis the last time that they played the Hounds defeated them three nothing at Memphis it was a season opener for both teams the Hounds were clearly on the same page to entering the season um, they hit some bumps after that but that opening night they were definitely on the same page uh, with a three nothing win so they're going to hope to repeat that this Saturday at Highmark Stadium against Memphis uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that matchup go transpires. But right now, top of the standings is Louisville City with 49 points. 49 points. They are in just red-hot form. A total record of 15 wins, only three defeats, and four draws. Tampa Bay Rowdies are kind of nipping right behind them. Red, red, red hot as well. They haven't lost in, I mean, almost two months. Uh, they're 14-3 and six draws. And then Memphis and the Hounds are two points apart. So Memphis has the two-point edge right now, 45 points. And the Pittsburgh Riverhounds have 43. So it's going to be a fantastic race to the finish in the Eastern Conference. But the Hounds have work to do. As, as well as they've played, they are currently sitting six points behind the leaders, two points behind third-place Memphis, who they played this Saturday. And, of course, Tampa, who's beaten them twice, has 48 points and they're five points ahead of ahead of the Riverhounds. So a lot of work to do for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Um, but before we look forward, let's look backward just a bit. I'd like to bring on Dan Angel, uh, who's been a, a fantastic contributor for Pittsburgh soccer now, uh, helping us with a lot of our Midwest uh, contributions, uh, on-site coverage. Dan, uh, not only did he have uh, been at the last two Riverhounds in the 11 matches played in uh, Carroll Stadium in Indianapolis. 
but Dan also covered the Louisville City match uh, earlier this year between the Hounds uh, and Louisville City and was also there to cover the, I believe he was out there to cover the Pitt Notre Dame showdown out at South Bend uh, in December for us, where Pitt came this close to making its second consecutive Final Four. But last year, of course, Notre Dame had different plans and, and were the thorn in the University of Pittsburgh men's soccer team side with that uh, penalty kick shootout win. So Dan was there for, for Pittsburgh's soccer now. So looking forward to getting his feedback and his thoughts and, and really about how this Hounds team has, what his thoughts on the Hounds uh, and how they performed on the road and his contributions to Pittsburgh soccer now. All right, I'm, uh, this is John Krasinski. I'm here with Dan Angel. Uh, Dan uh, is Pittsburgh Soccer Now contributor. I would say that you are officially our Midwest contributor. You've, you've been uh, so out covering some of our recent matches that the Riverhounds have uh, played in the 11 twice in the last, uh, year, last two years now at Carroll State, mm -hmm. I believe it is. And, of course, you yep. made the trip to Louisville to see the, the Hounds take on Louisville City uh, earlier this year. And I believe you were – were you at South Bend in December? Um, yes. So um, I was in um, South Bend for um, Pittsburgh getting dissected by Notre Dame. Um, and I've done, I've done a fair amount of um, stuff for Penn State um, during their run in the Big Ten tournament. So – well, on behalf of all the networks, you know, we were, we're glad to have you uh, as part of our team. But, you know, I want to talk about this Saturday, this past Saturday in Indy. Um, you were there. The Hounds, you know, they got their two goals and then went, went down a man and still held on. Mm -hmm. And you, much of your uh, match report and your comments on Twitter and whatnot, that, that last, you know, 50 plus minutes, they, they really – Indy couldn't even get any couldn't even get a shot off it was pretty impressive yeah yeah and I mean a large um part of that was um because Indy 11 really made the Hounds job easy because they really lacked any kind of forward dom direction with their attack but you have to give a ton of credit to the Hounds back four to close off anything that dom 11 was trying to create and really just um showed that kind of resiliency for 40 minutes because those are not easy conditions to play in. Like that night, it was basically a steam bath on the pitch. Like I was sweating walking back to the parking lot um, after the match was over and it had actually cooled down a little bit um, before then. So what, what the Hounds back four was dealing with, not ideal conditions at all. And having to tough that out, a man down and keep Indy 11 from getting really anywhere close to the goal is really impressive and says a lot about their resiliency. Yeah, and Indy 11 has, you know, they have some talented forwards. We know that. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, you know, maybe cohesion-wise, they're not what they were last year, year before. A team that we saw in 2019, that was, you know, when they first came into the USL, they, they showed they were really, really good possession team. I know they've had some personnel changes and things like that, or club and USL mm -hmm. doesn't. But uh, what, what were your thoughts on, you know, the, where the Hounds now – where they kind of fit in they the way i look at it they're in that top four yeah they're chasing obviously chasing louisville city who you saw we could talk a little bit about them uh tampa and memphis but you know, what's your impression of this 
kind of your overall impression of the Hound squad? Um, I think it's a talented team that um, plays together, and um, when they take advantage of their opportunities, they're very tough to beat. I mean, the two the two chances um, that they created, I mean, Cicerone um, had the goal both times, but both of those were really good team goals that just got set up by players making the right decisions and Cicerone and Dequa making the right runs at um, the right time. So this team really seems to be on the same page, and that's what you have to be to be able to compete with a Tampa Bay or a Loose City. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. And again, two more goals where they've scored where their forwards or their attackers are kind of making a run, getting to the mm -hmm. right, being in the right place at the right time. And Bob Lilly talks about that all the time. And this is the yeah. type of team he wanted to build. Um, you've had post-match interviews with Bob. He seemed pretty pleased after this match. Yeah. And which is I mean, not, um, not common. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. That's certainly true. I mean, hard not to be um, pleased when for the majority of the match, um, your team is in control of um, the tempo. They weren't in control of the ball that much. I think Indy 11 had like 64% of the possession, but most of Indy 11's possession was um, in the middle third of the pitch. Wasn't really um, much direction to it. And, when the Hounds had the possession, they made sure that they took advantage of their opportunities, um, waited for the right moment. Um, the first the first goal, um, I mean, it seemed like it was kind of going in slow motion, um, waiting for a waiting for a um decision there. Um I mean I was waiting for Indy 11 to come out of the box, try to go after Rome Rivera, do anything to make him uncomfortable. And they just weren't moving. Like, and it just seemed like Rivera had three or four minutes to make his decision, pick out on the man. And when you have two guys going to the box at, at that point, it's just a matter of um, executing it properly. And it was a very good ball. He had, all the time in the world to make that decision and it was well executed and i was actually just watching a clip before we got on and i think one of the announcers on the call said none of the um indy 11 defenders covered themselves in glory on that um, play and i have to say that's absolutely uh -huh. right yeah and but but the you know a sign of a really good team is the team that can can take advantage and 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 make the most of their their opportunity oh, absolutely and I think that's one area where the Hounds were struggling a little bit in somewhere like not right early in the season, but right as they started to get into like, I don't know, maybe that towards the end of the first quarter, early second quarter of the season, mm -hmm. they just were really struggling with finishing. They were, they were, you know, out shooting most teams. They were getting a lot of crosses in. They were, they were getting into the final third, but they weren't clinical enough they weren't taking advantage and they weren't getting on the end of those runs like we're seeing them yeah. now so i think that's important taking advantage of the making the most of those chances um from your perspective you've watched them play a few times now on the road who what players stand out to you i mean obviously um you have to start with um cicerone being in position and making sure to finish properly and something you just touched on how earlier in the season the hounds weren't really um finishing all that well when they got the ball in the box 
that really is kind of a perfect contrast to how the match with 11 went versus how the match with Louisville City went. Because that match in Louisville, there were a couple moments where the Hounds had an excellent dumb look at the net. Um, Remember, after Lou City's first goal, Pittsburgh gets a really good look, um, which even had Lou City's PR man, you know what I'm saying, oh no. And they weren't able to, I don't even think they got a shot on target on that dumb play. So it really does say a lot how the Hounds have develop that cohesion to complete those runs and make sure that they're putting um, a ball at least on frame, if not in, if not in the net every time, because if you make the keeper um, work, then good things are sometimes going to happen. And in the two shots that Dom Cicerone um, got on the end on, there was nothing that Dom Indy 11 can do. He made sure that he was making his run and got in the right spot. Excellent finish both times. Yeah. So that Louisville city match, they they really did struggle. That was probably, I think, a lot of us from our perspective have watched them play most every week. Probably thought that was one of their worst performances this year. Uh, at the same time, mm-hmm. there was, I don't know, there was some things that Bob thought that came out of that match. He felt like, you know what, I can't wait till we get those guys again. Um, yeah. Some signs. There were. Like, I think... Um... The first the first half hour of the match, even though they were down a goal, the Hounds were still in that match. Like mm. they were still creating long chances. The sense there was the second goal was going to decide how the rest of the match was going to go. If the Hounds had managed to get it, I think we would have seen a much different performance over the final 40, 50 minutes of that dumb match. But once Lou City found the second goal, I think the hounds were just deflated that night and there just wasn't much of anything left. And I do agree that on a different night, that could be a much shown different result. And I'll be very interested to see how the hounds saw him handle facing loose city when um, Louisville city comes out to Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's definitely now the hounds have Memphis this week. Then they have Louisville, I believe in September, maybe early October, uh, I believe it's September, but those are very important matches because the teams mm-hmm. that are ahead of them in the standings, those are the only two matches they have left against, and, and the rest of their matches are against everybody else. Uh, also point out that I think they have like five of their last eight matches at home. They also have, I think, a lot more home matches on on this second half of the season. So that's a positive yeah. thing. And then to walk away with all these road wins, you know. But the mm-hmm. only issue is when they, when they play and you go out and cover them, I mean, they're picking up. <laughs> Extra red cards. <laughs> What's going on there? What I, ha- I have no idea. Like, like direct quote from John Kaluter on once um, I brought that up. It's like, so Dan, can I interest you in some property here? Or, you know, I'm season long credential, <laughs> which I mean, it's like I live 20 minutes from the stadium. So, yeah, if you're <laughs> offering a free place to live, John, we will happily take that. <laughs> but I have no idea what um, this trend is that um, the Hounds manage to get a red card every time that I'm there. And I think, like, I'd have to go back and look, but I think all three of them, I know for sure the two in Indy were both double yellows. They were. So, the yeah. one in Louisville, I think, was Dane Kelly. He had, like, a his elbow. Yeah. I mm-hmm. don't think he had it because I think he came into that match as a sub. So I don't think he I, had I think you're right. I don't think he was sitting on a yellow. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right now that I think of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, I like I don't know what in the world's going on there. Like like I told you in our text exchange, hopefully Bob doesn't make that connection um, or they'll never allow me back. But then again, the home team is the one in control of the media credentials. So I think I'm good there, actually. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll get you there. We, we like having you there. Um, it, nothing. For, hey, from my perspective, a little nothing wrong with a little extra drama. You know, I know it makes the, the, the Pittsburgh True. soccer fans sweat it out a little bit. But um, so, you, you know, you've you've been around the USL championship a little bit. I'm just curious of your perspective on where these two franchises that the Hounds play regularly in the 11 Louisville City uh, that you've you've been around at least. And if you have anything else to add in terms of USL championship teams, but where those two franchises are and their stability and just kind of what they mean to this league as a whole, I think they're two very important franchises. I think you're absolutely right. And I think Indy 11 is only going to get more important um, once some um, their proposed stadium comes through, like having their own place to play here, especially if um, it's a, um, neighborhood venue like they're saying that they want to build next to the Colt Stadium is probably going to be pretty huge for soccer in this area. I mean, we've seen um, just how Louisville has basically become the gold standard in USL with a strong competitive team year after year, their own stadium, a NWSL franchise. I mean, that is a complete franchise organization from top to bottom. And It'd be really nice if um, Indy can get to that level, which I think they're trying to do. And it'd be really nice if more um, franchises in the USL can get to that um, position where they've got all three. Because this league is a lot of fun to watch. There's a lot of good talent here. It doesn't get quite the attention that MLS does, but that's okay. I mean, it's still very entertaining. And yeah, if um, people actually pay attention to this league, it's a lot of fun. I agree. I but obviously I'm doing I've been doing this probably over 10 years as a, a from the journalist side um, after I got out of the game coaching and some other things. But this is this this league has in in that time has really come a long way. Mm-hmm. These two franchises, too, in particular, you know, like you said, Louisville City is kind of the gold standard. Um, what's the atmosphere like at, at, at Indy? Uh, obviously, in Louisville, what what what? does the fan bases bring it seems like the supporter groups are, are pretty good pretty pretty lively well i mean the 11 um it's a little a little bit um of a odd situation um right now because the brickyard battalion is kind of a little bit um annoyed with um the um franchise at the moment because there's um, basically been a dispute um, going on between the battalion and the front office about um, certain banners um, related to the current political climate. But right. when when the um, supporters groups are actually on the same page, it's a pretty um, good atmosphere in both um, places. I mean, Louisville City really created a solid, intimidating atmosphere the night I was there. 11 the first time i was there the atmosphere was good um the last time i was there not so much which could be because of several factors i mean it wasn't really a great night dumb for soccer with the humidity like the fans were there they just weren't all that boisterous so i think it was more um that the battalion is kind of 
still annoyed with foam 11 at the moment but once they can get on the same page i think that'll again be a really fun atmosphere to see not quite on the level of ecs but still pretty enjoyable i i had to get in my plug for for my sounders there you go there you go well i you know i know you're definitely a a soccer person you love your you love your soccer you host a podcast as you mentioned um um yeah i'm um, myself and um, two other guys, um, Corey Adair and um, Thomas Miller, um, we um, co-host a weekly podcast called the Gabacho Baracho U.S. Soccer Talk podcast. And mainly we um, talk about the U.S. national team, other issues that some that are going on in the world of soccer and give our weekly um, gambling predictions for European leagues, as well as um, sometimes we dip into MLS, some USL. I personally have dipped into NWSL a fair amount lately because that's been paying off nicely for me. Well, hey, wherever you can find the advantages to to, to win. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sick of getting MLS, so <laughs> I bas- I'm basically branching out to whatever league um, I can figure out. Well, and and I found it interesting. You were one of the few reporters for us who who were happy to share the lines. Uh, the, the odds before the match i i we've started to add those and the rivers uh bet rivers here in pittsburgh now mm-hmm. does offer the uh the lines for uh usl championship matches which hadn't been the case for a long time interesting though that that's sort of come to the forefront now that that piece yeah. is involved and I, do you think it's brought more fans to at least casually follow you know the or just the general sports fan uh, the gambling yeah. sports fan to the to the USL championship. I I think it has. Um, I mean, I think at the start, I think at the start of um the pandemic, um, the fact that soccer was the first sport really to come back helped create right. some fans and um because people were looking for anything as far as some um, gambling and were willing to latch on to whatever they could, like. One of the um, sites that I write with um, is a straight gambling site um, that decided to do soccer for the first time because they were just desperate for content. So the first um, soccer post I wrote um, was a preview on Dortmund against Schalke and managed to nail the um, correct score there for a plus 2200 payout. So I think um, yeah. the fa- the fact that you can bet on USL matches so easily and the fact that they're on ESPN Plus, I think that has um, helped a little bit um, because when you can actually see the match for yourself and you can get some action in, you're a lot more likely to pay attention. And I, mean, I really like that USL is making it very easy to follow um, and is encouraging betting by making these partnerships with Bet Rivers and other books. And I think it can only help the league. That's fascinating. And I haven't really we haven't really covered that much uh, on our end here in Pittsburgh. We, we were hoping to see more. I, it was when we had that lull during the COVID era period, it was like, we were hoping that once they came back, but it took, I think it took another year or so for bet rivers to get the odds. And, but now they share them mm-hmm. uh, before every match and it's pretty fascinating. Um, but yeah, the, it, I think anything to get more people to the uh, track to the game, I think is, is a good thing. Um, well, yeah. I, like, yeah, as far, one last note. I know you mentioned um, you, you guys do talk a lot about the U.S. Uh, women's and, and men's national teams. We I had Mike DeCorsi on. We had a nice session, a nice podcast to talk a lot about both teams. Uh, but heading into this World Cup year, 
just kind of gauging your your thoughts and what the men what where the men stand right now and what your thoughts are um heading into the kind of late in the year world cup yeah i think it'll be interesting to see how the players react when the european leagues are the ones taking a break in their season as opposed to um taking a break in the middle of the mls or usl season as far as on um, the us some um, teams chances go i think it's all going to be decided by how they handle that first match with Wales, because looking at um, the potential knockout stage matches, if the U S can top the group, and I think that's possible if they can um, get um two wins and draw with England, they've got a much easier path than if they have to come in second and likely go through the Netherlands in that first match. Because with how the Netherlands looked during um, Nations League and the European Championships, I don't really want any part of them um, facing them in the round of 16. I mean, facing somebody like Qatar or Senegal in the round of 16 and then making a run, I think is very possible. So if the U.S. can handle um, Wales, and I think they better be play- paying very close attention to LAFC to get um, some scouting done on bail while they can. He's close enough. I think they yeah, I know. I think I think they've got a good chance if um they can handle Wales and Iran. I am a little worried about um the Iran match simply because Iran is going to be one of the few teams that actually knows how to handle the heat and cutter. Yeah, so, good point. But I mean, we have similar conditions um here um if the U.S. is training in like Arizona or New Mexico, so we can actually prepare for it a lot better than England or Wales can. So that might help. Absolutely, I you know that's a good kind of way to look at it I, and that that first match always seems to set the tempo if you look at mm-hmm. past world cups going back that first match helped set the tempo i think the uh i go back i go pretty far back but i, I remember the 2002 how important i think they upset portugal early yep. and it was a that portugal team it was way before cristiano ronaldo and and but they were that was like a team of a generation type Portugal team Mm -hmm. and they beat them and I think that stunned everybody and then they kind of struggled I think they lost to Poland and um there was yeah they they beat Portugal they drew with South Korea and then lost to Poland and needed South Korea to beat Portugal to get them through and you know thank goodness and but that yeah that that first match really set the tone whereas the years years a few years before that disastrous 1998 year was oh god it was, you know, it was just from the get-go that they just, they were doomed from the start. Um, yes. Was- I mean, when you get it, when you get a group of Germany um, and Yugoslavia back then, plus a decent Iran side, I mean, it's already going to be tough to get out of the group, but that team wasn't even competitive. No, not like, at all. The, the lasting moment I, the lasting memory I have from that World Cup is um, my grandmother throwing my father out of the house because of how um, upset he was that um, the U.S. had lost to Iran. I, that was a that was just losing that match to Iran was just gut wrenching. Like you were like, we can <laughs> yeah. at least we can salvage. We'll beat Iran. We'll you know we won't make it further, but we'll at least we'll beat yeah. Iran. And we were still close enough. I mean, still geopolitically, like that match had some. You know, it had some fight to it. Um, I think mm-hmm. people still wanted, you know, never wanted to lose to Iran uh, after some of the history between the two countries. But, yeah, that was interesting. That was very interesting. Yeah. I and mean, just even if we could have gotten a point off Iran, like we like we have only managed to get, I think, 
one point in our history on European soil, the the draw with Italy in 2006. Right. Again, that was a World Cup where, you know, a good start, maybe, you know, maybe that's it's a different story. But yeah. Yeah. Instead, we, instead, five minutes in, Jan Kohler um, gets his head in and that's the end. Yep. It's going to be so important. So it's like this team with the energy that they have, they play well late in big matches. They've shown that against the they do. Mexico matches. They've shown that they can come on strong. Um, but the good start is going to be key. I think that's going to be one of the things that they, they have to keep it together early on. They can't allow anything to happen. Um, and, you know, there's still question marks on the back line. It's just, I mean, I don't, it doesn't look good with John Brooks situation, but mm -hmm. we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I, I don't really see yeah. any way that John Brooks is getting in until Greg Berhalter is no longer the coach. <laughs> that's like, probably right. Uh, we we have had we have had several discussions on our podcast um basically like what it would take for John Brooks to actually get back into the starting 11 and none of the three of us see any way that it's happening right right well that's the key like hopefully they have that they that Burhalter has a good group back there um to keep things together because you know hopefully when you get into these tournaments and they get into the world cup and Wales or England, especially England, I mean, they're going to be under some significant pressure at different times and mm -hmm. how they handle that will be interesting. Cause they honestly, like as well as they played in CONCACAF and even though they've been under pressure in some situations, uh, this, this is going to be a totally different story. And they're, they are still essentially a very, very young team. Yeah, I, I really think that this team is building toward hosting the World Cup in 2026 and making a run then. For this team, I'll be thrilled if um, they can get to the quarterfinals. Oh, I, th I think that's a reasonable goal. I think we, I think, uh, yes, I agree with that completely. I think quarterfinals U.S. at this World Cup will be a fantastic foundation to build into the year that they host in 2026. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Dan, I appreciate, uh, again, your contribution to Pittsburgh soccer now and just talking a little bit yeah. of soccer with you here. And I will make sure uh, one more plug for your uh, for your podcast. Yeah, um, it is the Gabacho Baracho U.S. Soccer Talk podcast. Um, we're through the um, Coda Sports Gambling Network. It's myself, Corey Adair and Thomas Miller, and we talk soccer pretty much every week. And then your Twitter uh People can follow you on Twitter. Yep, I am at Dan Angel Eleven. Just my um my name and the number eleven, which is actually pretty appropriate Dom, for soccer. Now that I think about it, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you being part of, I guess, our eleven or our unit. <laughs> and um, but yeah, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to connect again moving forward. Um, I'm hoping the Hounds have a lot of home playoff games there's less travel but if we got to go to louisville city somewhere in there um i may, might even be making a trip we may be making trips but we may love to have you there too so we, we we'll, yeah. we'll definitely get into that when uh, when the time comes yeah sounds like a plan all right thanks dan yep all right thank you <laughs>